In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. While we weren't able to make it through the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this will be the last um, uh, of my sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, specifically chapter 5 with Ash Wednesday and Lent. We'll pick up again in chapter uh, 6, just with our regular uh, liturgical rhythm. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That verse I began with was from uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, which I've tried to argue over the last several sermons is really kind of a thesis for um, our Lord's, our obedience to our Lord's ethical uh, commands and demands of those that are in His kingdom, that we are living in obedience for the sake of others so that they will in fact see how we live and then they themselves will give glory to God who is in heaven, that they will be moved to see God as He is and then of course be brought into His kingdom. Well, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount that Deacon Zach um, read for us so well, verses uh, 38 through 48, our Lord gives us some very practical advice on how Christians ought to be obedient even in the midst of unjust situations. He deals specifically, we'll see, with the concept of retaliation to begin with. Before we get into the text, and I do want you to have a text in front of you, um, either, I, feel, I mean, if you have your phone and won't, I, I always hate to say it, but if you have the phone, if you have the ESV on the phone, get the phone out and follow along, or they're in front of you, we have Pew Bibles or your own Bible. Let's turn here to Matthew 5, 38. But before we get into the text, I want to say this for a moment. Um, and I'll hit it in just a little bit as well. These texts here, Matthew 5, 38 through 48, have often been used um, by Christians to say, well, um, this is the way that a country, a nation ought to be, um, in fact, uh, governed, that what Jesus is really trying to do is set up this kind of perfect government here on earth. No, what our Lord is trying to do is He's trying to get His disciples, each of us, to be obedient to Him in our lives, offering our lives in obedience to His Word for the sake of others. So let us begin. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This old saying, which we do find in the Old Testament, in uh, Leviticus 24 nonetheless, we we see it there. We also see it in the Code of Hammurabi in the 8th century, this law of retribution. If someone takes your eye, you um, are entitled to theirs. If someone takes your tooth, you're entitled to their tooth. Lex talionis, the law of uh, the tooth, actually, I think, translated from the Latin. But all that to say, at first we tend to think of this law as being a bit barbaric. This Old Testament law, it's, it's barbaric, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But let me begin by submitting to you, before we get to our Lord's deepening of this teaching, let me say this. This law that we find in the Old Testament and in the ancient Near East in general was not barbaric. Matter of fact, it was just. 
Matter of fact, it kept revenge from getting out of hand. You think about that Sicilian justice from Godfathers 1 and 2, at least. You, take, you break my kneecaps, and I'm going to take, you know, a couple of your brothers and your sister and maybe your, your aunt and your uncle as well. The law of retribution, the Old Testament, kept justice from going past justice into injustice, into taking more than was taken from you. The early church believed this as well, that this was not unjust, but was just, the law of retaliation. St. John Chrysostom says, Whereas thou sayest, because he command to pluck out an eye for an eye, therefore God is cruel, I say that if he had not given this commandment, then he would have been cruel. So let me begin here. The law of retribution in the Old Testament was, in fact, a just one. But our Lord goes on in verse 39 to say this. You can see it there in front of you. But I say to you, do not resist the one. Do not resist the one who is evil. Here, do not resist means um, do not set yourself against. That's kind of a literal translation. Or even better, do not try to get even with them. Do not try to get even with them. We'll see that the rest of Jesus' practical commands here in these verses for the Christian deal with this phrase, do not resist the one who is evil, do not try to get even with the one who is evil. And this is um, a teaching that St. Paul and St. Peter pick up later in the New Testament. In Romans 12, 17, oops, whoa, that got really loud there. Maybe I should preach like that, that would be scary kind of, all right. <laughs> Romans 12, 17, St. Paul said, did I hear an amen? Amen. Romans 12, 17, St. Paul agrees with our Lord. He knew the teaching. He knew the tradition. Was he there for the Sermon on the Mount? Was St. Paul there for the Sermon on the Mount? The answer is no, he was not. He received the tradition, and what did he write in 12, 17 of Romans? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. St. Peter in 1 Peter 3, 9 says this, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. Let me stop here by saying that Jesus' teachings here and his commands um, uh, have been, as I mentioned earlier, co-opted by others to say, well, we need to set up governments that look like this. No, he wants the heart and the life of the disciple. We're often tended, uh, we are often tempted, I should say, to resist one who comes to us with, um, with evil intention or with, uh, with injustice to kind of to fight back. We're tempted with that. John Chrysostom again says this, the Christian is not called to combat fire with more fire or with more intense fire, but actually we combat fire with water. That's the way the Christian lives, the Christian behaves. One theologian um, writes uh, this, our immediate reaction to ill treatment from an evil person will be to get even with them or to pay back. But Jesus' counsel to us is on the contrary. He says, don't. His advice is not to fight them or to run away, but actually to stand in the midst of them and to speak truth. And we'll see that in the way that we speak truth and in the way that we conduct ourselves in the midst of those who want evil 
uh, done to us or have bad intentions for us, the way that we react will actually have, if the Spirit moves, the ability for them to see what's going on in their heart. Or even further than that, for others that are watching the exchanges take place to see how the Christian combats evil with good. But if anyone slaps you on the uh, right cheek, do what? Turn to him the other also. Teaching from our Lord, turn the other cheek. Again, Jesus is not saying that if someone breaks into your home and is trying to do harm to your family, that you just say, do as you please, I'm a believer. That's, this gets taken out of context. No, this, this coming to you and slapping you, that, that's an insult. This was an insult that happened in the day of our Lord. I mean, I guess it technically probably still happens today. It's a little more common back then. And there are two things that I want us to see from this exchange that our Lord says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Here's the first of the two. We do not retaliate to the one who insults us with evil intention. We don't slap back. One church father writes, as I mentioned earlier, you do not put out fire with more severe fire but with water. So we don't retaliate. And the second thing is this. And this is very missional. You see, when we turn that other cheek, there's a moment in time where that person is wondering, what is going on? You've turned, you've turned the other side of your face to me. You haven't punched me back or knocked me out. You haven't run away in fear and terror. You've turned this other cheek. And it's in that moment that there's enough space just for, a, for, for just a second in time for the Spirit to speak to them, for them to have a moment to come face-to-face with their evil that they're enacting on someone else, and for the Lord to open up their eyes in that moment. And then it's also, there's, there's a moment in time where those that are watching might just see the way that the Christian behaves, and in that moment say, this, this is, this is, gospel. This is good news. This is, they they talk about Christ himself who went to the cross for the world, endured humility and shame. They, They see in the exchange a moment of the gospel that is itself missional. There's one theologian that I read early on in my life, um, back in, uh, graduate school, who had this, this theory, now I'm, I'm preaching this to you as theory, not necessarily exactly how it may have taken place, but he said if you assumed that um, the, the people in, involved in this exchange were right-handed, and you had someone that was standing in front of you, and they uh, backhanded you, that was the slap, was the backhand, if they backhanded you on the face, if I were to be backhanded by a right-handed person, it would turn my, my cheek, if I'm hitting this way, I guess we would turn it this way, if I turn my cheek the other way, to them, that's asking them to hit me with what? Not with another backhand, but with a, with a forehand of force. And if they, in fact, hit you with the forehand of force again, others around are seeing the evil at play, at work. And matter of fact, even maybe, for, maybe they don't, maybe they stop. They say, what is going on here? I was expecting them to hit me or to run or to flee. And they stop and they, and they see them, the evil in themselves for what it is. You see, there's a moment, there's a moment in time in which our behavior can be missional. We don't fight and we don't, we don't run. And then it occurred to me that didn't our Lord face a slap on his cheek? 
We think about the passion narrative. Let me read for a moment to you. In John 18, beginning in verse 22, it says this. When Jesus had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. It doesn't say on the face, but it's obvious that it was on the face. Every commentator will tell you that. Saying, is this how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Ananias then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Jesus didn't strike back with that insult, with the strike on his cheek, and he didn't fight back. Later on, he tells Peter to put the sword up. He heals Malchus's ear, put the sword up. His kingdom is not of this world, but he stood firm and he spoke the truth. And Jesus goes on to give other teachings here in verse 40 and following. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone would force you to go one mile, go two miles with him. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I want to focus in for a moment on this verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two miles with him. Some of you know this, but uh, there was a, a law in the Roman books that if a Roman soldier was marching kind of in formation, they could take... Um, uh, really anyone of any nation, but specifically um, in, in kind of pal- present-day kind of Palestine, they could take a Jewish person and say, you're carrying my bag for the equivalent of about a mile. And they, they had to, or they could face, the Jew had to, or they could face penalties and fines and all sorts of things. Jesus is saying, put it on, and don't just walk the mile, go one more mile with them. Now, this is not just the teaching, hey, go the extra mile for somebody. No, no, no. This is when someone is insulting you and humiliating you and say, Putting on, put on my pack and carry it a mile. You go two with them. And I can just imagine the soldier being very uncomfortable when the one mile mark is passed and you're still carrying it. I could almost imagine them saying, no, just, just here, just give it back. Just give it back and let me put it on. Because in that moment in time, the spirit can move and they can see the evil with which they are acting. You see, our Lord's commands here are missional. They're so that others may see the truth and give glory to God that is in heaven. Now our Lord goes on to say in verses 43 through 45 this, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Am I the only one um, who, my enemies, I just want to either take them out or have somebody take them out? That's just, that's just the reaction. Now, some may be more, like, more fight like I am. I'm kind of like the fight, let's just fight it out. Let's just, I'm going to take you down. Some may be, you know, to flight and then to get the posse of people to come back and to take out the person, you know. Maybe that's a little more wise. I mean, it's unjust, but maybe a little more wise situation. But all that to say, our human condition, we hate those who persecute us. We only love our neighbors. That's, that's kind of like, um, that's, that's how we're born into this life, through the fall of humanity. But our Lord is saying this, no, 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 love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And it's so easy to kind of go to, you know, to World Missions, it's World Missions Sunday today, and to read beautiful stories, real stories about how Christians in other parts of the world 
are being killed as they're praying for the people that are killing them. And we should go there first. They're fulfilling our Lord's command. You know what's amazing? Is the gospel is spreading because others are witnessing this otherness, this unexpectedness in the way that these Christians are acting. They're saying, no, 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 I'm praying for you as you're persecuting me. But it's so easy for us to hate those who persecute us. And we think too about family, about friends, about those who used to be friends of ours. Brothers and sisters, we're called to pray for them, to be moved to pity and to compassion, not to hate, not to anger, to pray for those. I'm, I'm reminded, and we ought to be reminded of the seventh beatitude of our Lord that we went through several weeks ago. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. For our Lord says, do all this. Pray for those who persecute you. Don't just love your neighbor, but love your enemies so that you may be called sons, and we might say daughters of your Father who is in heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the children of God. Loving our neighbors is easy. Loving those who are evil is difficult. Our Lord goes on at the end of verse 45 to say this, For God makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see, this is a subtle indictment of of the way that disciples often live. You see, God in His mercy, He sends rain on those who love Him and on those who are actually against Him. And we see this, right? He, He sends rain for those who are evil and those who are good, for those that are just and for those that are unjust. If God the Father can do that, can we not pray for those who persecute us? Because in doing so, we're being um, ushered into the character of God in heaven. Finally, moving on, verses 46 through 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. When we, when we love those who are not our neighbors and our family, when we love those who persecute us, when we love those who actually cannot give us anything in this life, and matter of fact, those, they may not give us anything, um, they may not be able to give us anything, or to go even further, they may be the ones giving us the things that are what we don't want, that we shouldn't want. When we pray for them and love them, we're showing the world that there is another way to exist, another way to live that comes down from our Father in heaven. It's in these moments of turning the other cheek, of praying for those who persecute us, that we actually begin to be that salt in the light here in this life. Now we end with verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now you may, be, you may remember that I began this sermon series with a thesis that God requires not perfection of us, but what? Obedience. Perfection and not obedience. When we use that word perfection um, in English, we, we often think of, of course, getting everything exactly right all the time. And that's what I mean. He, doesn't, he required that perfection and Jesus Christ himself fulfilled that. And we can't, in this life, be that kind of perfect, but we can be obedient. We can be obedient. 
So what then do we make of verse 48? Jesus saying, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Teleoi is the Greek here for perfect. We see the word telos or end or goal from this. It can easily be translated, I think it's better translated as perfectly mature, as mature. Therefore, then we should be perfectly mature, full, complete, just as our Heavenly Father is mature and complete. And brothers and sisters, we know that the road to maturity looks like following our Lord and the commands that He set before us in this sermon. It's not an easy road. In following our Lord's teachings, specifically the ones that we've seen in chapter 5 over the last few weeks, we are showing the world a different way of living and of being, an existence that shows the love of God who sent His only Son. I know I've repeated that a few times in the sermon, but I don't want us to miss that, beloved. I mean, I'm convicted quite often about how, um, how I treat family or those who have wounded me or hurt me that I, I clap back. I want to dominate. I want to at least give an eye for an eye, if not, you know, the Michael Corleone situation going on there. We want that. But when we don't do it, when we say you have persecuted me and I'm not clapping back at you, I am praying for you. You're turning the other cheek, speaking truth. In the midst of that situation, there's a moment in time in which the Spirit can work and they see another world and they're drawn into it. Let me end with this. And I know I say that about five times at the end of every sermon, but this is it. This statement and then a prayer. Many of you, I know, have failed miserably in this command. If you've known me for more than about a half an hour, you know I too am with you in failing miserably and not praying for those that have hurt us deeply because of evil intentions. We have not turned the other cheek, but we have sought to destroy others. We failed, I know, all of us. But here's the beauty of the grace that our Lord gives us. If we ask for forgiveness and we repent, He moves our sin as far as the east is from the west. And I guarantee you there'll be another moment in time. Now, I'm no prophet, but some of you are probably going to get a text when you leave here from somebody you know. And it's going to be that moment in time that you can act out of anger, out of hate, or even out of a basic sense of justice. Let me call you back to the words of our Lord to go beyond that, to pray for them, to love them, to not refuse them, not to retaliate against them. Where we sin, repent, and that Lord will move us on until we die into that perfect maturity that every Christian is called to have in this life. Beloved, let me end with a prayer from St. Thomas Aquinas on having a virtuous heart in this life and showing it to the world. Let us pray. Give me, O Lord, a steadfast heart which no unworthy thought can drag down, an unconquered heart which no tribulation can wear out, an upright heart, which no unworthy purpose can tempt asunder. 
Bestow upon me and us understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and faithfulness that might finally embrace you in the end of all things. In Jesus' name, amen.